Good afternoon, you're on the panel on RNZ National, Wane Pereira and James Elliott join me today. First of this, Category 3 Tropical Cyclone Gabriel is currently en route to the North Island with its arrival on our shores expected on Sunday. Auckland Emergency Management's Deputy Controller Rachel Kelleher advised people to have at least three days' worth of supplies in case they need to ride the bad weather out. With us is Lisa Murray, Head of Weather Communications at MedService. Kia ora, Lisa. So uh, RNZ will be keeping a rolling brief uh, across shows on this uh, issue, of course. So what do we know so far about the path of the cyclone and who is looking to be exposed? Well, Tropical Cyclone Gabrielle um, is in the Coral Sea, heading southwest towards us, passing over the likes of Norfolk Island and uh, then heading to the north of New Zealand. Now, that part of the track we're pretty certain about. It's definitely coming our way, arriving Sunday um, and then into Monday and Tuesday. The cyclone will move either across the country or slightly to the east of the country. Uh, either way, it's such a big system, we will see some impacts. No. And uh, where, when is the worst weather expected to hit? Well, depending on where, because it's such a massive system and it'll be affecting quite a lot of the North Island in particular, um, it will, it, you know, it depends on the time. But the worst days overall will be Monday, uh, Monday probably, and into Tuesday. Uh, but for Northland, they actually see the weather first. So rain and strong winds expected there from about 1 a.m. on Sunday. And then uh, the, the wind uh, following the rain at noon on Sunday. And then, as you can imagine, that low just feels around and rolls down the country. Um, we will be giving updates because depending on exactly where that centre is, will really determine the impacts of where will be the heaviest rain, the strongest winds. But overall, it's a massive system. Lots of places are going to see severe weather. Okay, Lisa Kiora, thank you for that update. That's Lisa Murray there, Head of Weather Communications Med Service. Now, can I just um, point out this? Because a few people have got in touch with me uh, asking about sandbagging uh, in Auckland. So sandbagging stations... It will be open from 8am to 8pm or while stocks last on Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th of February, so tomorrow and Sunday at these places, East Coast Bay's Church, 87 Hastings Road in Marangi Bay, Glover Park, Glover Road in St Heliers, 13 to 15 Westgate Drive, Westgate, so that's East Coast Bay's Church, in Hastings Road, Glover Park and Glover Road, St Heliers, and 13 to 15 Westgate Drive and Westgate. Now, at each sandbagging station, you can collect sand and bags to fill your own trailer or make sandbags, BYO shovel, and please note that supplies are limited. Take only what you need and take care when handling sandbags because they can be heavy. It's 11 past for the panel. People's mental health and anxiety are being tested and many of us head into another potentially major weather event. It was not a fortnight ago when many homes were flooded and in some cases re-flooded, families evacuating. The Auckland Emergency Management Group uh, says that Auckland soils are still saturated 
So here we go again. Dr. Jackie Feather is a clinical psychologist and co-convener of the New Zealand Psychological Society's Climate Psychology Task Force. Dr. Feather, welcome. Thank you, um, Wallace. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. No, thank you, Jackie. And there's a name for this now, isn't there? I understand it is eco-anxiety. That's right. Well, eco-anxiety is a term that's widely used in the media um, and you might have heard of other terms too, climate anxiety, climate grief, climate trauma, eco-distress. So there's a number of terms that are being used. Um, the, I guess in psychology there's as yet no agreed theoretical construct, but I think we understand what eco-anxiety actually feels like and what it means from from the people who've experienced it and just talking to them and doing research with them. Yeah. Well, anecdotally, what is powerful, knowing living in Tamaki Makota here, we're at the centre here, we live out uh, 14 k's, is that when you talk to people, Jackie, for example, just this morning at the gym, talking to someone, uh, this person, he, he says he's feeling quite anxious uh, because of his house. You know, there was a dam building up behind his fence. So he had quite a few issues first time around and really quite worried about the next 72 hours. This will be quite common. Absolutely. I think there's a growing recognition that our psychological well-being is closely linked to our relationship to the natural world. And, you know, this becomes very evident when we've experienced flooding in our own city and when we have the threat of a cyclone bearing down on us. So it's only natural to, to feel anxious. Anxiety, it's a normal response to a threat. Um, so, of course, people are feeling anxious. Rwani? Mm. Yeah, Jackie, um, uh, you know, I, I, luckily, I was one of the lucky ones, obviously not affected by the flood, but I've been in a severe earthquake and it's the same thing once you know of something that fear sort of um, really lingers and I can't even imagine what it's like for people bracing for this next cyclone. But um, Jackie, has it been much done in the way of um, climate or eco-anxiety in children and young people? Yes, there's been a little bit. Um, psychology is catching up with with this area in terms of research. Um, I had I was uh, teaching at AUT on the counselling psychology program, and I had a couple of students do some research um, in this area on their experience of environmental change and how it impacted their mental health. Um, so these were. Um, university age, young people, but they experienced a whole range of emotions, fear, sadness, frustration, anger, guilt, overwhelm, exhaustion. Um, you know, these, these young people particularly as well, they all felt helpless and powerless and lacking in hope. Um, and mm. I think younger people feel this as well, but, you know, school age, um, yeah, I can tell you a bit more about the research findings if you're interested. Well, shall we bring James in first because he will have some uh, um, uh, 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 questions. Yeah, I'm just interested, Jackie, in the sort of, I guess the expansion of the issue. So people will have their direct experience here, but for me, very easy then to think, well, actually, this is just part of the the issue around climate. There are all these other difficulties, challenges going on all over the globe at the same time, and I think that can be a sense where it's overwhelming for people. 
just that there's no way that you can look without seeing that effect. So how do you strike a balance between staying informed and getting into that sort of mm. doom scrolling kind of behaviour? That's a very good question. Um, and I think, you know, we're having to manage social media in, in our modern world. And this is no different. Um, I've myself got into doom scrolling and <laughs> <laughs> I got very involved in, you know, climate psychology and impact of climate change and environmental devastation on mental health. And I was, you know, finding every article I could, and I was actually noticing the impact on, on my own mental health. I was feeling quite depressed and anxious. Yeah. Um, so we do have to moderate our um, exposure to this kind of information, and especially in a situation where we're directly affected now um, with the flooding and, yeah. and cyclones. So, so well, that's interesting, that, isn't that's it, Jackie? enough in itself, so adding yeah. to that with Zoom scrolling is, <laughs> is not helpful. No, it's a good question. Mm. And that proximity too, Jackie. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, you may you may see as people as the person that the gym was talking to me this morning. You may see fires in Australia, California, raging floods in Germany. But when a similar thing happens to your street, and it's your street that features on the BBC, that really hits home. It really hits home, and I think we need to distinguish between the direct effects. Nope, we have sorry. lost... Oh, sorry, Jackie? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, final point? Yes. So I was just going to say that we have to distinguish between the direct effects. So if someone's directly affected by floods or, or the coming cyclone, that's a whole different experience to indirect effects of feeling anxious by mm. reading about what other people are experiencing. And, you know, mm. that can lead to traumatic responses and, and you know, there's immediate safety issues with the direct effect. Very good. Dr. Feather Kiora, thanks for your time. That's uh, Jackie Feather there, who is co-convener of the New Zealand Psychological Society's Climate Psychology Task Force Psychologist. 18 past four. You're on the panel, Rwani Pereira and James Elliott with me uh, today. By the way, quite a bit of response regarding uh, overhead lockers <laughs> on... Um, <laughs> Yeah, surprised to hear this as Air New Zealand had the cheek to charge us 450 bucks for oversized luggage on a flight that was one-tenth full prior to COVID lockdown. So, yes, might uh, come back to the overhead. Yes, uh, that's right, the luggage issue. But to this, this is fascinating. Chat GPT, have you heard of it? It's a system that understands natural language and has caused a sensation since it launched, what, about 12 weeks ago? It was created by OpenAI co-founder Elon Musk. People are seeing the pros and the cons. So ChatGPT is able to create stunningly human-like responses to questions, including follow-up questions, admit mistakes, and so on. It's banned in New York schools, Famed linguist Noam Chomsky last week, he called chat GPT high-tech plagiarism. One local expert says it threatens language diversity. With us is, is Colin Bjork, Senior Lecturer in Science Communication at Massey University. He's written about this. Dr Bjork, kia ora. Kia ora. For those who don't know a thing about it, have just turned on the radio and said, what the hell is he talking about? Explain it a little bit more. Sure. So ChatGPT is one of many different uh, 
text-generating AI, artificial intelligence, that's on the market right now. It's just the, the popular free one that's uh, acquired lots of media attention recently. And what it does is it, it uses machine learning. You can ask it a command. You, you type in a command. Write me uh, 100 words on why the panel is the best show on r and yep. and then it will spit out um, some content. But the way that it spits out content, it doesn't know the meaning of words, this artificial intelligence. Instead, what it's doing is it's using – it has a massive um, set of text, and it analyzes super fast um, word frequencies and linguistic patterns and this, that, and the other um, to, to pop out a, a text that looks very readable and very convincing – um, that attempts to answer your question, but it's based on uh, predicting word patterns, not on the wow. of the word. Wow, that's extraordinary. So it doesn't know the meaning of the words and yet is able to bring together a vast amount of data and spit out a response. Rawani, what's your take on this? Um, you know, it sounds all cool and everything, but I mean, for me, language is about connection and nuance and, you know, reading a room and, you know, there's, there's different layers to it and, um, you know, seriousness or lightheartedness. And, and I just feel, I don't know if a, uh, synthetic robot-y kind of thing can recreate those nuances. Colin? Hmm. Well, yeah, and that's something that I'm worried about. You talk about the connection and nuance. Language is so much more than just communicating efficiently. It's also about power and identity. And the thing I'm worried about mm-hmm. is that is what text is it drawing on uh, to, to, to output um, oh. it? Because I think it, so they don't tell us what what's in the data set. But uh, you look around at the kinds of outputs it gives you, and it gives you a lot of language that sounds like the Queen's English and standard American mm. English. But English, there are many Englishes. There's Black English and Indian English, and there's and um, there's so many different languages out there. But the default output is this kind of um, staid kind of white male English uh, that's been. That, that pushes other ways of speaking, including Tereo Māori, to the margins. Even though ChatGPT knows Māori, but it's not the default setting. And that's something that worries me, is that we lose, we risk losing uh, the linguistic diversity that adds the richness and the connection and nuance that you're talking about there, Ruwani. Right. I'm just going to open up now and type in, why is the panel the best show on RNZ? <laughs> so um, you, you keep on going, Dave, while I just do that. And I want to get the response. Go, James. Okay. Well, Wallace is doing that research. Um, I was reading uh, Thomas Friedman recently saying this whole, we're going to see more and more news about AI because it's, this is the next era of AI, the, the hardware technology catching up with the uh, software technology, and there's going to be this explosion particularly around AI. So I'm just wondering, um, in particular, how that's going to affect like, study. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a university lecturer, and they're worried about, obviously, plagiarism that's been mentioned. And he said, oh, well, we can answer that. We can deal with that. We can just ask people to think differently. We're not asking them. We, will know, we won't be asking them to regurgitate information. We'll be able to create okay. questions to think. So there are challenges that are raised, but there are ways of, of, of meeting, particularly in the academic field as well. Colin? Yes, that's a, that's a really great point. Universities are certainly grappling with this right now. I think there are a couple things to think about. Um, I think banning, banning the technology is not a good long-term solution uh, because partly technologies like this can help students with disabilities. And I think that that's a really big opportunity. If you ban it, then you disadvantage those students. But then if you teach with it, there are certainly ways um, to revise your pedagogies. Um, I teach writing, for example. I can imagine it pumping out crummy first drafts and then passing them to my students to critique and rip apart. Um, but but you, you want to think 
about um, you, you want to think about how much extra time and resources that puts on on teachers, mm-hmm. uh, school teachers who are underpaid and overworked, and university tutors and lecturers at the universities are still negotiating with the unions right now. So there's there's a lot of extra labor that goes into revising your assessments to do some more innovative things that I think are possible. Is it the, as someone said, I think there was an article in the Atlantic, uh, it's the end of the essay. A time on a tradition has gone. What do you think, Colin? Uh, the essay as a time honored tradition. I think the essay is historically in universities, it's a pretty problematic genre. Oh. I, think it's, I think the essay, as a way of demonstrating learning, is essays need an audience. And too often when you get asked to just write some ideas down, they don't have an audience. And if, they, if you're not writing or communicating your ideas to somebody in that essay, I think that essay assignment is a, probably uh, not as strong of an assignment as it could be. So I don't, I don't bemoan the loss of the essay, but I think that there are other forms of writing and communication that you can do alongside AI perhaps um, in a more critical and creative way. I'm, yeah, I'm really intrigued by the point about where the language comes from, the input. Uh, and almost tracing it back to the coders. What as you say, it's a social has a social impact. So who are the people who are making the decisions? Who are the coders? You know, the white, the male, the stale, sort of that audience as well. That's, my, that's your main point in the article, Colin. That's correct. And, and yeah. I think that you're talking about who are the coders. Historically, Silicon Valley has a big problem with this. It's it's, a, it's typically white American men who look a lot like me, right? Um, and and that's a problem um, because the technologies that have been developed there have have you know frankly, had uh, some algorithmic bias that, that looks like racism, right? You think about the um, facial recognition technologies that don't recognize black faces as well. You think about how um, if you want to make a transcript of this recording, it's not going to understand the Maori words because its default is English. So there's been historically lots of ways where technologies that come out of Silicon Valley have been prejudiced. And I think this is a risk here with ChatGPT that we need to be wary of and push back on those companies. Well, it's it's wonderful to have an explain here. I, well, I've, I've got the answer. I've got the answer. So I've What's opened answer, a, I've opened ChatGPT. I asked um why is what the pa- drum roll? What, what, okay, the drum roll. You want to, you want to hear the answer? Why is the panel the best show on RNZ? You know what the answer was? What that? Is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> Uh, see, it, it needs to be calibrated. It needs, it needs to get better at those responses. <laughs> who's the coder? Who's, Good on who's you. The well, the, the, oh, lovely, lovely. A text, a text that says the panel is the best show on RZ. Thank you, that one person. <laughs> Colin Buick. Uh, kia ora. Thank you for your well, time. Mrs. Chapman. Mrs. Chapman. <laughs> Uh, he is a uh, lecturer in science communication at uh, Massey uh, and wrote about that uh, for the conversation. We have Rowana Pereira and James Elliott with me today. Now, this came up in the staff room over a birthday afternoon tea yesterday. If we were to hold a retro afternoon tea, what would be in it? My producer, who is from England, she said, well, I know what would be in it. The cucumber sandwich, not laughing because I love oh. it, but 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 uh, she said, uh, Charlie, wonderful Charlie Drever, she said, uh, get this, James, yes. you slice a cucumber thinly, yes, you put it in white bread with butter, you cut the crusts off and that's it. Yeah, and then no, triangles. Yeah, triangles. Cut but crusts and triangles. Triangles, crusts yeah. off. Honestly, yeah. that seems so lame. 
as an afternoon tea. But you're putting the cart ahead of the horse, Wallace. We've got yeah. to talk about the infrastructure and the environment for the afternoon tea. So we've got to talk cake stands <laughs> and we've got to talk doilies before right. we doilies. get any food. Yep. But I have doilies. It's all okay, about the doilies. So it's context. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that, that was uh, Charlie's input. I, I, uh, so we're having, a, we're having a retro afternoon tea this afternoon. So Charlie's bought the uh, cucumber sandwiches. I'm bringing the Ninish tarts. You'll bring Ninish tarts? Oh, Rowani. Mm. Can you go Sorry, past? you're on your own with the Ninish tarts. Probably I'm more savoury, so I'd go with a sausage roll, but it has to be bite-sized, like yeah. just one little one that you just dab in the sauce and then into the mouth. Yeah, they don't make those anymore. Yeah, they're, they're big these days. It's about portion yeah, size. Okay, so Rowani's bringing the um, oh. tiny sausage roll. I'm bringing the Ninish tart. Yeah. Charlie's bringing the cucumber sandwich. Uh, our listeners are bringing uh, the brandy snaps on a three-tiered cake. Cake stand, yes. Oh, another, yes. Another yes. person is bringing the chocolate fingers. Now, do you recall those? Oh, yes. Yeah. The chocolate fingers don't make those oh, anymore. Yeah. Um, someone else is bringing the rhubarb and coconut slice. Not common these days. Oh. Very big in the 1970s. Yes. Yeah, what are you bringing? Well, I want to bring some accoutrements for the beverages. So I'm thinking of a sugar bowl with sugar cubes and sugar tongs. Has to have cubes and tongs, and you have Very, to have a small oh. a small milk jug that will dribble, no matter how carefully you try and pour the milk from it. Those are the standard accoutrements <laughs> to go with your beverages. But cake if I'm forced tea. to bring cake, it's got to be a Victoria sponge. And uh, yes, a oh, couple of people, couple of people are ringing the asparagus rolls, and uh, someone says just a reminder to dip the cucumber in the vinegar first. Uh, so wonderful. Mm. Now, can well, I Jane, just... Yeah, keep going, Rowani. Um, can I just add one more? Um, the salmon blinis. So your little blini like pancake, a little bit of uh, creme fraiche with a bit That's of uh, dill, a uh, squirt of lemon, and then a lovely fresh, uh, you know, smoked salmon on top. And it's got to be impossibly sort of piled Delicious. so that it will tip over <laughs> as soon as you pick it up. No. It will fall all over. No, it has to just be just perfect little bite size. Yep. But I'm a huge fan, and I guess it's the retro thing, but I'm a huge fan of funeral food. Right. Like, love it. Yep, we're flying, it's all back. This, but... we're flying back to 1979 this afternoon with the retro afternoon tea. Now, James, <laughs> uh, Rowena, you can't uh, see this, but take a look at the image that I have in front of me that a listener has sent in. Yeah, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the classic pineapple hedgehog, uh, if, I, if I can oh, see that correctly, yes. with the, uh, the toothpick spikes. And you've probably got gherkins on there next to grapes, next all foods that should never go together except when they're on a on a hedgehog. My wife had one of these at one of her seventies parties. Yeah, gherkins next to grapes, next to pineapple, next to cheese, basically. Any um, glass side cherries on there? Oh yeah, uh, asparagus rolls, lamingtons, brandy snaps, and uh, mini eclairs all on bone. China service. Uh, you're on the panel Scott? on R. <laughs> Indeed, the scon's got to be in there. <laughs> the panel R and Z National 